And so today, uh, we're going to be continuing on in our series in the book of John uh, by going into chapter 2. So the last weeks that we've been in that, we've been in chapter 1. Uh, looking at various things, but if you have your Bibles, you want to go to chapter 2, uh, we're going to start, we're going to go through verses 1 through 8, 1 through 10, something like that, uh, as we look at this series. Now, as I was researching this uh, for the message today, I came across uh, another crazy thing that happened in the year 2020. Like, like we're in 2021 right now, everybody, we want to move on uh, and go forward, but when we stop and take a look back at 2020, there was a lot of crazy things uh, that happened, you know, whether it was COVID that hit, uh, there was the, the locusts, uh, wildfires, uh, there was coke pigs in Italy, uh, you can look that up if you want to find out more about that, um, but also in Italy, there was a, a small village, uh, and in this small village, there was a, a valve failure. Uh, at a plant uh, in Italy uh, by this village uh, and, and stuff began to contaminate the water. And I think we got a picture here uh, of this contamination. Uh, and so people would like go to their faucets and they would turn it on and, and like this pinkish stuff would, would come out and it's wine. <laughs> it's Lambrusco wine. And so there was a winery in Italy next to this village. They had a valve failure, and all of the wine that was ready to go into bottles at their plant backwashed into the reservoir system for the city. And so people were turning on their faucets, and out came Lambrusco wine. And so the city was rushing to fix the issue, and the citizens were rushing to grab bottles (laughs) and fill up as much as they could. Uh, before they fixed it. Now, it's not quite turning water into wine, uh, but today it's actually the passage that we're going to be looking at in Cana with Jesus' first miracle, where he heads there and he turns the water uh, into wine. And so, again, it's going to be in John chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, before we get there, let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. Uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit's uh, leading for this story to be in there for us today. We pray that it becomes alive and active to us, uh, that it uh, doesn't, that we look at it and we do not walk away unchanged, as it says in James 2, uh, but rather we recognize uh, that it is for us, that it changes us, that it helps us, that it convicts us, it encourages us and heals us. Uh, And so Lord, I pray that your spirit would work in hearts and minds today as we go through this. Uh, Father, if there's anything I shouldn't say, let me let it drop to the floor. Uh, But Father, if there's things that should be said, um, Lord, I pray that you either bring it to my mind or you bring it to the minds of people within this congregation to share uh, when the time is appropriate to do so. Uh, Father, we submit this to you. We want to be the church and we want to minister to one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so in John chapter 2, verse 1, on the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, so this is Mary. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. Uh, And so most likely, uh, the people that had gotten married were either family or close family friends to have both invited Mary uh, and Jesus, but also to say like, hey, Jesus, you've got some disciples, bring them on too. Uh, And so they're all invited to be there. Uh, Verse 3, when the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, they don't have any wine. Uh, What does that have to do with you and me, woman? Jesus said, my hour is not yet come. Do whatever he tells you, his mother tells the servants after that. 
So this particular passage uh, has been interpreted uh, in many different phrasings. You know, if you look throughout uh, different Bible translations, uh, you've got Jesus and some of them saying, woman, what does that have to do with me? Uh, this one saying, uh, here, what does it have to do with you and me? Uh, and, and a number of different things. But, but essentially what the phrasing here is, uh, is, is something along the lines of, uh, why are you involving me in this? Like, like there's no wine, and Jesus is saying, why, why are you involving me? Um, I kind of had a, an experience similar to this uh, in our own house just a few days ago. Uh, Angie was busy um, working on something that was um, needed. It was cleaning or something like that. I forget exactly what it was, but, you know, she's being responsible and, and uh, following her task and what she's supposed to do. And uh, I kind of got distracted um, at looking at different things for disc golf. Um, I enjoy going disc golfing. Um, and I'm looking at, like, these different discs. And, and there's a disc that I want to buy. Uh, and I'm trying to figure out, like, which one do I want to buy. And, and literally, there's, like, 70 different color options for this one disc on this website. Um, and so I go to Angie, and I'm like, Angie, I'm having such a hard time. Can, can you pause this important thing that you're doing? I, could you pause this and help me pick out a color for a piece of plastic that I'm going to throw at trees? <laughs> and her response is basically, what does this have to do with me? <laughs> like, what do I care what color disc you have that you're going to throw into a tree? Um, and so it's that kind of a sense of like you're attending a wedding, a wedding that you're not necessarily responsible for, uh, and your mom comes up to you and says, hey, they're out of wine. And Jesus' response is, is what does this have to do with, with us? Um, and so he did that for, for a couple of different reasons. Uh, one of them was to kind of assert and make that claim that I'm sure Mary already knew um, that Mary, as his mother, had, had no claim or control over Jesus. That, that he was not subject to her direction. In fact, in other places like John chapter 5, and we'll get into that later in the series, uh, it talks about he's here to do the will of the Father and what the Father has told him to do. Uh, and so if somebody else would come up to him and say, Jesus, you need to do this miracle, well, no, just because you say so. It, it's not that, but rather, what is God's will in this situation and, uh, and, and the like. And so he's sitting there and saying this uh, in order to kind of say, like, no, like, I, I don't have to do this just because you're telling me what to do. And so Mary's response out of this is, do whatever he tells you. And so, in a sense, she's almost like setting it down and saying, okay, whatever you, whatever you do. If he tells you to do nothing, do nothing. If he tells you to do something, do whatever he is that he tells you to do. Uh, and kind of sets that down uh, for however Jesus had decided to go forward with that as he was led by the Father. But in this moment, he also mentions something else. That is, our had not come yet. And it's kind of a, a strange phrasing for him to, to reply this way. Especially when it goes through the book of John, and every time it talks about the hour that is coming, it's referring to Jesus' death on the cross. And so, in essence, what he's answering here is he's saying, What does the lack of wine have anything to do with me? I'm not supposed to die yet. And it's a really weird, odd response, but there's actually a reason for that. Uh, and it's our first clue this morning uh, that this miracle at Cana was more than just wine. 
It, it was more than just helping out uh, a newly married couple um, that was falling into a, a hard time that would have been embarrassing. That it was more than just uh, about turning the water into wine, but something far more uh, profound uh, and something that was a sign for us even today. We'll go back to our passage this morning uh, in verse 6. So it says, Now there's six stone water jars that have been set there for Jewish purification. Uh, each one contained 20 or, or 30 gallons. Uh, and so you've got these varying sizes of stone jars. Uh, stone was used for purification because uh, according to the law of Moses, uh, stone could not be contaminated. And so therefore you could put something into it that was pure. Uh, for purification, they would want what was called living water, uh, which was from a fresh source, uh, not something that had been sitting or stagnant. Uh, and so they would take this living water out of the well uh, and then put it into these acceptable stone jars, uh, kind of as storage. Uh, and then it was a religious ritual that as guests would come before they would eat, uh, they would pour this water over the hands of the guests. Uh, and so it was more than just washing your hands before you eat, uh, but it was a symbolic spiritual reference uh, to almost a cleansing, to being a, appropriate, to being a, a guest of the wedding in that sense. And so that's what these six stone jars are. And so in verse 7, Jesus continues by saying, fill the jars with water. And so they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, now draw some out and take them to the head waiter. And they did. When the head waiter or the master of ceremonies tasted the water after it had become wine, he did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. He called to the groom and told him, everyone who sets out the fine wine first and then after people are drunk, the inferior, but you have kept the fine wine until now. Jesus did this as the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee. He revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So as we look at this passage, uh, we have this transformative miracle of this water turning into wine. Uh, and not just any typical wine, but uh, said to be a fine wine, something that actually surprised the master of the ceremony because it was brought out after the adequate wine, that it was something superior. It's also astounding to consider uh, the science behind that for, for those of you that are more into scientific uh, type things. Um, uh, Dr. Lewis uh, had a comment, whereas Jesus, as he changed the water into wine, uh, revealing his glory, but if you look at the molecular level, water, which is hydrogen and oxygen, H2O, like, like that is what water is, hydrogen and oxygen, and I'm drawing a blank right now, how many hydrogen atoms? Two, right? Okay, thank you. So two hydrogen, one water, and, and that's the only thing that was in that jar um, was that uh, in order to reveal uh, his glory. Uh, now, this was transformed into wine. And wine is much more complex than water because it contains sugars, yeast, carbon, nitrogen, along with oxygen and hydrogen. And so what he's really doing here is not just this sense of like, well, there's water and now it's wine, but the actual substance makeup of the, wa the water was changed by the creator of the universe into something completely different. This first of his signs, the first of the miracles, really showed the power of Jesus or God himself over the created world. 
And should it be any surprise to us that, that a God who says, let there be stars in the sky, and then boom, there's millions upon millions of stars in the sky, why wouldn't he be able to say, ah, let's turn that into wine? Uh, and so really this first sign uh, is a declaration of his divinity that they may not have noticed there in the moment. And as you've seen as we've been going through this series, the book of John starts off with talking about how Jesus is God. And so John makes sure that he points to this first miracle that points to that as well. Through this, uh, it says that the disciples believed in him. Again, that's that Greek word, uh, pistuo, that seems to keep coming up. It's that idea of faith or belief, uh, but also absolute trust. Uh, and so they're there and they're watching this happen and this water be transformed. And they're like, this is the Messiah. This is who we need to follow. But the thing is, is that there's more to this miracle than just the wine. And I think there's more to this miracle uh, than it just being his first one. It's more than something that's physical. Because John himself, uh, in verse 11, referred to it as a sign. Not, not as a greater miracle, but, but as a sign that is pointing to something. We find that this miracle is a declaration of what was to come. And actually, Jesus pointed to that. Like, they didn't notice it at the moment, but when he said, my hour has not yet come, he's actually pointing that he's going to give a sign of something, pointing for the reason of his hour and the reason for his death. His death would result uh, in a path to spiritual purification, not just physical purification. The entire Old Covenant, the Mosaic Law, was all about how to be ritually clean before God. And it was something that had to be continually done. If you had a baby, you had to go and have a sacrifice in order to become ritually clean again in order to worship at the temple. If you touched a dead body, sacrifice in order to become ritually clean, in order to worship at the temple. Like all of these different things. And here Jesus himself, when the, the hour would come where he goes to the cross in order to die for our sins, he is that ultimate and perfect sacrifice that pays for our sins, but also cleanses us and makes us uh, clean and purified before God as we come into salvation. So he's alluding to that this is what's coming, but he also points to it in the miracle itself by doing this sign. Now, I've always thought that the wine came from the jars. That, that here, let's fill up the jars, and, and now let's take some wine out of the jars and, and give it to the master of the feast, uh, and now that's what happens. But as you look at this passage in the original Greek, the word used uh, for draw uh, is actually antleo. And this word antleo is used four, maybe five times in Scripture. Uh, and it's only referring to drawing water from a well. It's used in chapter 4. And we'll get to that in a, in a number of weeks as we get into the Samaritan woman uh, at the well. But this Greek word specifically means going into the well and drawing out water. And so if we go back into that passage, what it's really saying then is Jesus says, fill up these jars, these stone jars with water. And so then they fill it up. And actually, I don't think we have the slide ready, Jaden, but if we can go back into that, um, I forget what verse it is. Yeah, fill the jars with water. Uh, and so they fill them to the brim. We go to the next verse. 
And he says, then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the head waiter. Now, if we just read that in English, uh, kind of our logic says, okay, they just filled up the jars, and so now take some other jars and give it to the head waiter. Except that word draw, and leo, means from the well. And so what this is saying is Jesus had them fill up the purification jars. Now that they're full, go back to the well, take out some water, give it to the head waiter, and it becomes wine. Now, why is this important? Jesus was pointing to this sign, pointing to what would happen when his hour would come, that the time for ritual purification was to be full and completed and done with. That's why he had the water filled to the brim. It's full. It's complete. When you look at the word um, maturity or fullness or completeness, uh, it's the Greek word teleos. Uh, It's in Ephesians chapter 4 when it talks about the church growing up into the full maturity of Jesus. It's teleos. Uh, And so that sense of full is, is being signified as completeness. And so we had the jars filled up first in order to symbolize the time for purification was full and complete and done. And that as he would die on the cross, something new would be happening. That there would be a new source of purification. There would be something new taking place. And so that's why he has them go back to the well, to go back to the source, to go back to what they richly considered to be the living water. Not something that has been sitting or stagnant or that could be used up. Because the water in the jars could be used up or dried up. But the well, the well is the source. The well is that constant flow. And so he has them go to that in order to pull out the water that then turns into wine that they give to the master of the feast. Symbolically saying there is a new source of purification. There's something new that's happening. And the fact that it was wine itself was a symbol that the Jewish people would have understood. Uh, Throughout prophecy, throughout the Old Testament, wine was a symbol to the Jewish time, uh, people of times of plenty and, and of blessing. Even as they were looking at going to the promised land, like it's a land full of grapes and honey. And what can we do with those things? And so this symbolic um, aspect of plenty and blessing uh, through these prophecies pointing forward to a time of rejoicing and even within the new testament with the institution of communion do you realize what jesus says in matthew chapter 26 he says here's the wine that symbolizes my blood which is given to you to forgive you of your sins Uh, here's the bread which symbolizes my body which is for you But then in verse 29, he says, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine or this wine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And so even there's this sense of blessing and anticipation, provision from God leading forward towards the day when he comes back and conquers sin and death absolutely once and for all, and we celebrate with him at his table. He's pointing forward to all of this within this sign. This amazing miracle is more, again, than just this provision to a married couple that says, okay, you're going to be embarrassed. Let me prevent you from being embarrassed. John says this is the first of Jesus' signs. And yet it was semi-private. 
But it was so much more than that because it was a, a declaration of what was happening. The end to trying to, to earn salvation. The, the end to a constant cycle of, of falling into failure and then having to do something out of our own abilities in order to earn forgiveness and to be in a right standing with God. The burden and the weight of that Mosaic covenant that resulted in the countless deaths of animals in order to pay for the sins of the nation. All coming to an end. And that the new blessing, the new provision, the new celebration was because of Jesus' death on the cross. Because of His blood poured out for us, which wine symbolizes. That we have a new relationship with Him. So that if we come to a place and we acknowledge Him as our Lord and Savior, we spend eternity then in rejoicing with Him because our sins are forgiven and we are purified by what He did, not by what we have to do in our own efforts. So as we look at this, we see that this sign uh, was done to point to His deity, to point forward to the hope of redemption that was coming when His hour would come. Uh, it was done in love, rejoicing, in abundance. Uh, and the disciples at that moment believed and chose to follow him. It's the same for us today. Uh, but it also symbolizes for us to enjoy the presence of the Lord. That it's not all purification. It's not all just ritual. It's not all just do this, do this, do this, check this box, check this box, keep your head down. If you make a mistake, atone for it and, and move on and move on. This legalistic, works-based relationship with God. It's completely done. What it's saying is that there's wine, there's celebration, there's blessing, there's festival. That is our relationship with God now. Because we've been redeemed, we, the, the yoke has been lifted off, and now we follow after Jesus in this new relationship of joy and blessing and His Holy Spirit working with us in a way that is no longer connected to this world. And so we need to choose to, to have that joy, to, to celebrate, to enjoy the presence of the Lord in all that we do. This was at a wedding, and he wants to celebrate. The other really cool thing is when you think about a wedding uh, in Ephesians chapter 6 and chapter 5, uh, it talks about how uh, a marriage between a man and a woman symbolizes the church and Jesus Christ. It talks about a marriage there. When it talks about Jesus coming back for his church, what is the church called? The bride. The symbolism within this miracle is profound to the number of things that it's pointing forward to, which is for us today, as we are his bride, and we're waiting for him, and he's purifying us. Not by our own efforts, not because of our failures, we're separated. But he does it from this new source, which is grace and mercy instead of the law. We realize that he'll provide for us uh, and that he teaches for us as well. Uh, so in a few moments, we'll, we'll take communion. Uh, but again, I want to take some time here this morning uh, and see if anybody here, as we've been going through this and reflecting on this miracle of the wine, um, the new blessing in that. Uh, again, for me, this was something I never really noticed until I really dug into it this week. Um, and so if there's anybody out there that's got something that they feel is from the Lord for us today, I just want to take a few moments for that.